This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I like to go on as much science as I can when we teach and create content at AOC. We love to be science-based, but if there's no scientific study, but we can show that this is working mm -hmm, with our mm -hmm. clients, we'll still use it. What we won't do is make up some crap like a lot of life coachy guys and then mm -hmm. hope that it works because it makes sense. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today, I'm hanging out with my friends from Mind Pump Podcast. We're gonna talk a little bit about some AOC history. It's really a funny conversation, joking around with these guys. They're just wild. They're right up my alley. Love hanging out with these guys. Good friends of mine over at the Mind Pump Podcast. We're gonna talk about social dynamics in general, how coaching's been a big part of the lives of those that I know who are successful. A lot of funny stories in this one as well. So come hang out with us in this episode of AOC. And by the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the AOC Toolbox. That's where we discuss things like reading body language and having charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking, influence strategies, mentorship, persuasion tactics. I could go on and on, but it's everything we teach here at The Art of Charm. If you're in the United States, you can text the word CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. Everywhere else, just go to theartofcharm.com and also at theartofcharm.com slash podcast, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes of the show. So here we go with me, Adam, Justin, and Sal over at Mind Pump. So now that you're not involved in the school and you don't actually have to go down there, you're not hands-on, take me in a day. What does a normal day look like for you now? Sure. So I do go to some of the boot camps. It's just that it's so unpredictable when I'm going to go down to L.A. And I always mesh it with something else in L.A., like interviewing somebody or being interviewed by somebody. And then it's like, all right, I'm in L.A. I'm going to go hang out at boot camp and, and do that stuff. So a typical day for me now, though, is I actually have my schedule in my phone, which is right here. And I can give you a real life example. Yeah, yeah I would love to. Give it to him. I want to hear. He's all 7 a.m. Pilates. No, he's <laughs> no reformer, though. Reformer. <laughs> really, what he is, is he just reminds me how I am. Because if you ask me what I'm doing tomorrow, I have no fucking clue because somebody no, else has refer put to that. It. Yeah, I have to refer to either that person who books that schedule or I need my phone to, like, okay, hold on. Let me tell you what I did today. <laughs> Yeah, this is sort of proof that my days are all kind of weird, right? Because you know those people that go, yeah, at 6 a.m. I get up and I read the newspaper, 7 a.m. I eat breakfast, then at 9 I'm at work, and then I go to the gym and I come, and I'm always like, wow, that's so easy and simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am really jealous right now that that is your day. I could do that. Yeah, I mean, I do this thing for productivity where I schedule my day out in 15-minute long blocks. Wow. Some are increments of 15 minutes, right, like one hour. But the whole day from today at 8 a.m. all the way till whenever we wrap up here has been scheduled in 15-minute blocks with 
one little white slice there at 11 a.m. And that was a canceled call. You, <laughs> you have 15 minutes to go to the bathroom at 11, 1115. That's all you got. Like, sweet, I could drink a coffee. Exactly. So you got to hold it for a while. You know, I wish I was joking about this, but and I haven't talked about this anywhere else, of course, because where would you? But I have a bottle in my studio since I don't have live co-hosts. I've got a bottle in my studio that's labeled courtesy of my fiance. This is <laughs> Jordan's piss bottle. Whoa, that's good times. Yeah. If I'm on Skype with freaking like an astronaut or Tony Hawk, I've got to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to be like, wait, that's an awesome story. But hang hang on like two minutes because I really have to pee. And then we got to edit it out and be like, so you were talking about how you set this world record. It's going in a bottle. It's worth it. You've fully committed. That's awesome. You just interviewed Tony Hawk recently? Yeah, it comes out on Thursday. Wait, so you legit you legit pee in a bottle while you're doing your... your Sometimes, your... not every single show. <laughs> Why not a diaper? I've done that cross-country. Uh, it's not that I weird. I, I like the Why bottle. Why not a I diaper? Do, a diaper. Diaper, dude, come on. Why would I buy a diaper when I have a piss bottle? Yeah. That's labeled <laughs> That's a, good point. a custom That's piss a good bottle. That's going backwards, right? Yeah. That's going backwards. Evolute, bro, you evolve into the bottle. You don't go the oh, other man. way around. Yeah, man. Stadium buddy. Pissing if, yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I still want to be comfortable. Just because I have to jam my wiener into a bottle doesn't mean I want to stay uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, right. right. I want to leave it there. Um, this isn't the ideal situation. But. So tell me, you got to tell me about Tony Hawk because I've always had a lot of respect for him. He's one of those uh, athletes that, uh, you know, reached uh, superstardom and then was smart, I feel like, with his money. Like, Savage on seems, Bruno, Yeah, total right? businessman, right? Can we tease it a little bit? Of course. So I, I wanted to get specific information out of him because people always ask those guys the same things. Like, oh, so what was it like? The 900. Tell yeah, me the 900. Tell me about right? the 900. And it's <laughs> right. like, tell me about, you know, getting famous in skateboarding or like, who are your favorite skateboarders? And these are really amateurish questions that I feel like those are fan questions that have been answered a million times. And I say fan questions because that's what you ask somebody when you, you're like, wait, who is that guy? Oh, man, there's a famous person on this plane. I got to ask him something. God, it's so true. First thing that comes to your mind is like, whoa, what's your favorite movie? Because you're an actor. And they're like, yeah. uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so I asked him things like, all right, why did you keep practicing even when nobody gave a crap about skateboarding? Because his career was like, skateboarding is this cool, I don't know, was it 70s thing? And then it was like 80s, it's kind of fun. But then the mid to late 80s through early 90s, no one cared at all for like 10 years. That's true. Nobody gave a crap about skateboarding. There were no skate parks, really. Very few anyway. Pro skateboarding basically didn't exist. All those skate companies, remember like Vision Streetwear and stuff? Yeah, man. All that stuff, Airwalk, like they barely survived slash most of them went out of business. And all of those other ones went completely under. Now, is that because of rollerblades? You know what? Actually, I think it was in part because of rollerblades. Wow. But also because... It was just like a trendy thing that they, it just went away. And that was, I feel like that was the rise of like hip hop was starting to become. A, it was. Hip hop yeah. became really cool and, and trendy and skateboarding and grunge type of like, even the music that was attached with skating and everything like that, kind of that, those, those type of bands kind of took a dip. You yeah. Kinda, that music, everything, that whole genre for, yeah, it was a good 10 years or so. It just took a major dip. So what did he say? What was his answer to? pushing through all that. I wish I remembered the word for word. Of course I don't. But it was essentially something like when you care enough about doing something, you're compelled to do it. I think we talked a little bit about writers, how really good writers, they don't write because they're like, all right, I should probably write another book. It's been like five years. They're like, I got to write this stuff down because it's coming out of me like crazy. I got to get it on paper. This is how I create stuff. I've got to do it. It's like singers and musicians who are really, really good. They're not like, 
crap, man, I just have no ideas for my next album. They're just writing hundreds of songs and most of them suck and don't make it or they, they make it onto some other collection or something. But when you see those artists, the Prince, those guys, like there's so much music. Look, Tupac probably has a new album coming out and he's been dead <laughs> since I was in high school or middle school. He's killing it right now. He's killing it. killing it, yeah. dude. Because they just wrote every day, all day. And he just was like, yeah, I just love skateboarding. Like I wasn't doing it for money. I was doing it to get it going. And then he went into some detail about how motivation works, how high performers really feel about their craft and why it's important and compelling to get really good at your craft, even if kind of no one else cares. So I thought that stuff was super interesting. And we did talk a lot about his business, protecting his brand, because when he was younger, and he gives a lot of funny examples on the show as well. He's always been somebody I've been intrigued about because especially at his time of coming up, like now I feel like you know, your, your little Wayne's, your Jay Z's, like all your artists. And, uh, what's his name? did the, the first double backflip on the uh, Travis Pastrana, you, all these big names now. Well, he created Sean White. I mean, Sean White took a lot of his uh, entrepreneurship and he took that into like Target. He's like partnering up with all these people. Yeah. Tony Hawk got into, uh, the clothing line. He was, I know he really pushed the video games. Like he did a lot of really smart entrepreneur moves in an era where it wasn't as, as cool to do that. It wasn't even really being done. Right. It was like, they licensed cartoons, but they licensed Tony Hawk stuff. Well, all his video games are amazing. Well, there's like, and there's like 32 of the toys. Video yeah. Games. Yeah. yeah, toys. Toys. Yeah. But the examples he gives on the show, some of them are really funny, like backpacks and crappy wallets. And he sees this bad quality stuff and he gets really upset about that. And he talks about like how he handles that and why he's so anal. But at one point, and he recounts the story better than me. At one point, he's pissed. He sees some crap at like TJ Maxx or Ross or something. And he's like, this is just bad quality. What the hell? You know, I don't even remember this at all. So he calls the licensing agents and they're like, yeah, you know, we license everything. Our contract says we can do kind of whatever we want. And he's like, this isn't going to work for me. So he goes down to their office and he's like, guys, you can't be making crappy like plastic watches, stupid cartoony, silly like backpacks that rip and fall apart and are cheap. It's making me look bad. And they go, actually, we can do whatever we want according to your contract. And he goes, he looks up on the shelf and he goes, what the hell is that? And there's a roll of, I'm not even kidding, toilet paper that says like Tony Hawk on it. And he goes, <laughs> what the hell is this? And, and he goes, Tony Hawk ass paper. And they're saying, see, Tony, we're killing it so good for you. We can print your name on toilet paper and it'll sell. And he's Whoa. like, how much do I need to buy my contract out? And he did. So you, nice. okay, so that's how that works with some of these companies. So when these guys sign a contract, some of these guys give up the rights of what they use their name for. That's if part they're not smart about it. Yeah. And now he's really, really smart about it. I mean, because his sister, Tony Hawk's sister, is his manager, and she's got crazy rules around interviewing Tony Hawk, where it's like, it can only be in this format. It can only be up this long. And they vet you, and it's this whole process. Wow. And there's no point in them vetting every opportunity that comes in, because who cares? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, why would they go... Well, we've never heard of this. That's why you only see Tony Hawk on like Larry King and some other big name. That's a big stuff. fucking deal that he was so on there. It was sweet to get him on that's my show. Fucking yeah. rad. It was lucky too. I won't front. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Man. I, I love the honesty like that. Yeah. So you've been on air for a long time with your show, right? Yeah, ten years. Ten years now. as as of December, which is right. Yeah, ten years. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Who's your most uh, I don't know interesting guest? Favorite guest. Oh, well, man. you say favorite, least favorite. Hey, I want to know least favorite, too, which some podcasters won't go there. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of guests that I thought were really, really good, and I have them, I put them on this best of page, and I feel bad because everybody's not on there is like, what about me? 
So I'm going to say, uh, how about this? My producer made a best of page. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Perfect. It's at theartofcharm.com slash best. And it's like General Stanley McChrystal is one guy that we just had on. Um, he was the theater commander in Afghanistan and he got freaking fired by Obama because Rolling Stone wrote this article about him and they had like an embedded freelance journalist with him and his staff. And I guess they went out for drinks one night and some members of the general staff were like, yeah, Obama is not getting it done in Afghanistan or something like that. And they told this Rolling Stone journalist who's a freelancer and he put it in the article. And then he got oh fired for God. that. And Obama's people found it. And he tells the story much better, of course, than I do. But he got recalled or went to D.C. for something and offered his resignation. And Obama was like, OK, wow. I'm like, oh, damn, that sucks. It's the commander in chief, man. You can't talk shit again. You can't do it. And yeah. I don't even think it was an ego thing for Obama, honestly. Like, by the way he told the story, it just seems like he got kind of painted into a corner where you can't look. It was like Obama's first term or something or first year. You can't look like a punk. Mm -hmm. You got to lay down the it's law. It's like when you first yeah. get into prison. Not even a conversation, right? It's just right. like, thank you very much. It's a no-no. Move yeah. along, right? Yeah. Oh, God. How do you handle that? How tough. Do I asked him what he felt like, and he was like, I'm not going to lie. I was really disappointed because he'd been... Doing that job, I mean, that must have been 30 plus years because, I mean, he's the top general in a combat theater, right? Wow. And he was the head of the special forces, uh, Joint Operations Command, all that stuff. So he was a serious, badass special forces general. And he was well known for being almost like a patent type guy where there's a quote from some British special air service guy, the equivalent of like their Royal Marines or something. The guy's like, so you'll be up at 3 a.m., <laughs> and you'll see, you'll hear something in the trench and it's fucking Stanley McChrystal. <laughs> and he's just like in the trenches in the middle of the night looking through binoculars and sipping wow. coffee or whatever. Wow. Crazy. It's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Least favorite that someone either annoyed you or somebody who you did not like interview. Yeah. Who sucked? So I'll tell you right now, this interview ended up turning out well because of my engineer and my producer, my associate producer. They edited it like crazy. And I say this with a following caveat that I like the guy and I'm having breakfast with him in a month and I really appreciate him. <laughs> okay. He's a gr He's a great person. But when I got Larry King on the show, mm. he did not want to be there at all. And man, I felt it. And I think it wasn't even really his fault. I think what happened was because when I called, his assistant was kind of like, oh, it was done over the phone, right? Which is unusual for me. But it was done over the phone because I'm like, look, Larry King is like 84. I'm going to do whatever he wants. He was at home. I call. His wife answers the phone with like King residence. And I, I just thought like, oh, OK. There's a long pause after I tell them who I am. They're like, hold on. And then his assistant runs down and goes, yo, I'm going to make this right. It's going to be fine. And the guy was fine. I don't know where the miscommunication happened on my end, on their end, or if it was like set for a different date. But he was like, hello. And he was clearly like trying to finish some food. <laughs> and like, it was one of those days where he probably thought, I'm just going to lay around all day and read the newspaper. And it's suddenly like, no, you're going to be on air. Yeah live with some dolt in like his apartment <laughs> recording over the phone like a putz how long ago was my sandwich yeah man this was probably two years back so i'm gonna have larry king come back on art of charm because it turned out to be really good i mean i just had to like constantly it was kind of like a lawnmower engine that just won't start and you're, you're just like, oh, on. oh yeah you're priming them all day i kept having to do that over and over and over. But again, I don't think it was his fault. I think he did an awesome job after 
whoever logistically had dropped the ball. And he's, of course, not the worst guest that's ever been on AOC by any stretch. It's just a funny story. There's people who are so bad, it never airs, because there's people who won't let me talk like I'm doing to you guys right now. <laughs> no, not at all. No, yeah. <laughs> there's people who just like, every time you make a joke, they're just like, uh-uh, that's not funny. Like, they won't laugh or they'll tell you it's not funny or they Joke won't. blocking is the worst. Joke blocking. Come on. Yeah. Oh, you've had several guests that you actually never even aired. Oh, yeah. I've had people on, and it's rare as hell now because we vet people and my producer's supposed to talk to them. We get prep and all that stuff. But there is the occasional guy who you have an introduction through a friend, like you introduced me to somebody, and I'm like, this guy sounds cool. Talk to him on the phone briefly. He's super entertaining or cool, or we don't have time for that. And then I look at him on YouTube, and he's got like a great speech. And I go, this is going to be really good. And then I read the book, and it's brilliant. And then I get him on the phone and he's just like super tired, needs a cup of coffee. There's noise in the background because they insisted on doing it in a conference room. They didn't think they would come in to do it in the studio, which I love to have. I prefer that, obviously, like you guys. Yeah, that's the way to go. Or they're just like checking their phone a lot because something's going on, you know, and you're like, oh, man, come on. You started doing this back when nobody, I mean, podcasting was... Right. But how did people listen to podcasts back on their computer? You had to have iTunes on your computer. What made you start podcasting? I mean, because it was not a popular medium. It was not. To do it over again, I definitely would have been a YouTube person, although it's so much easier if you are like a good looking girl to be on YouTube and make an audience uh, or if you have some sort of video In editing general, skills. We all have basis for radio. That's what y- they say. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like mom always, mom always says. So you had to have iTunes on your computer. And the reason I chose podcasting was because it started as a hobby and not a business. The way that it kind of kicked off was I used to be an attorney on Wall Street. So I did like mortgage-backed securities and all this boring legal stuff. And I got hired by this guy named Dave, who was a guy from Brooklyn, but he had a tan. So I was like, this guy knows some ish (laughs) that I need to learn. What's the deal with this guy? And he was always like limping around the office whenever I saw him, something like four times because he had jujitsu injuries. And I was like, this is a partner at this firm that all the other partners are here every day. I'm here six, seven days a week. The partners are always here. Dave's been here three days in the last four months, and he's this younger guy. And he's tan. And he's tan. He's from Brooklyn. The fuck is this guy doing? I'm not doing What is going on here? He knows something. I wanted to figure out what the deal was because when I was in middle school, high school, I was a smart kid. I was able to skate by on that, you know, the whole like study the day before the test kind of kid. But then in college, everybody was really smart. I couldn't do that anymore, but they were so busy getting drunk that I could outwork them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then by the time I got to Wall Street, though, you can't outwork them and you're not smarter than, well, I wasn't smarter than everybody else anymore. So I was screwed. I was like, it's only a matter of time until they figure out (laughs) that I don't belong here. And then that's the end of it for me. So I basically talk to Dave as a mentor kind of guy because people were like, oh, he's such a great guy and he always brings in the business. And I asked him, how come you're never in the office, but you make a lot of money and you're a partner? And he told me that it was because he brings in deal flow. And I thought like, well, wait a minute. So you're out doing jujitsu and playing racquetball or squash, golf, cruises, and like charity events. And that somehow is more valuable than actually billing hours inside the office. Because even if you bill $800 an hour, if you spend 18 hours with an investment banker or 80 hours over time and they give you a million dollar contract, now your time's worth like $10,000 an hour to the firm and you can't bill that. So what ends up happening is uh, he basically just said, all right, if 
this is going to be my Archimedes lever. I'm going to do that. So when I heard that, that changed the way that I look at work forever. Because not only was this not trying to outwork everybody, not trying to be smarter, but just sort of status quo, this is a secret path that nobody else seemed to have figured out yet. And I was like, I'm going to focus on this. So I started focusing on networking, psychology, relationship development. And then I met up with my business partner, AJ, and he was a cancer biologist at the time. And he was really, really good with women. And I was like, what's going on here? So I told him all about my networking, job searching, client building stuff. And he's like, wow, all that networking stuff you're reading and studying sounds a little bit like some stuff that I feel like I already know. And we would go out and try to, because he was going to be a doctor or something like that, or a PhD, and he knew he needed connections. So I was teaching him that stuff. But of course, we're going out to bars to meet people after work and school. So we're running into women. And then the whole thing, as you might imagine, quickly morphed from let's figure out how to network and build relationships to holy crap, we can pick up girls because we know all this stuff about body language and vocal tonality and communication. This is working. So we started talking about a lot of that stuff. And then from that, we basically decided that we were just going to do this every day until we got it. And we went out like six, seven nights a week. We were always hanging out and guys started to go, all right, what's the deal? I've been working here for three months. I see you guys every single time I'm working here. All the other bartenders know you. You don't wait in line. And patrons were noticing that too. And they're like, you're with different girls. You're not waiting in line. I'm 24, 25 at this point in time, right? I'm 36 now. And you weren't wearing a magician hat? I wasn't wearing a magician hat. We weren't doing, we weren't making things disappear. No card tricks. Like none of that BS that all those other guys, pickup dorks were doing. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so like we basically started to, get a little bit of a reputation about it. And that's when the underground following, this is before the podcast, that's when this sort of underground so following people started, started following it? Oh, wow. So you started to create kind of like a, a little bit of a following before right. even the podcasting social media thing happened. Yeah, it was like, you ever see that movie Hitch where it's like word yeah. of mouth, mm-hmm. you find yes. out about Will Smith? It was kind of like that. Were people oh, hiring shit. you to teach them how to do this? They were. No so way. We, I remember these couple of guys that were from like Lebanon or something, and they were like, look, we're having trouble assimilating. We don't care about meeting girls. Like, we'll figure that out later. We just need to know how to make friends because we're new here and it's it's tough. So we would teach them a little bit of that. They gave us like 400 bucks for an afternoon. And then another guy who was friends with them, he was really, really good at networking. But he was like, look, I know you're teaching my friends to go out and meet people and things like that. I need to do that. So we took him to a mall and we had him talking with people and getting him out of his comfort zone. He's a business school student. He's a really successful guy. And he thought that it was so awesome. I remember we were going to charge him 80 bucks and he gave us $400 and he goes, you guys need to charge more. And so we started talking about this with other folks and word sort of traveled around and we found ourselves almost holding seminars, but not formally where we would teach guys body language, vocal tonality, eye contact. We were teaching women too, but it was just mostly guys. And we were teaching them all this nonverbal communication. And then we found like, okay, we're basically having the same seminar kind of every single week, four or five times, because it was just, they knew where to find us. And then they would come and they would buy us drinks or food or give us cash. And we would sort of take them under our wings, so to speak, for the night. And then maybe a couple guys would come back another time. So it was very informal. But we started to get that rep and we started to get a little bit sick of having the same conversations over and over. So we came up with the idea of burning CDs. And then when people would ask us about it, we'd be like, hey, 20 bucks, just give it to, and we would carry it around. So I had a pocket full of CDs 
wow. for like months. This is. Did you call it anything? Was it a Art of Charm back then, or was it? Was, it was just like. Did you have a system that you had planned out? Like this is what you do here. Kind of. Yeah. We just we had like a basic toolbox that later became the toolbox for the Art of Charm, which was like banter, nonverbal communication, body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, taking up space. And there were a bunch of different little topics that now escape me that are also now re- having been redone over and over at the artofcharm.com slash toolbox, which is like the basic set for charisma and magnetism and stuff like that. And so we recorded those and they were on CDs and I was giving these things out. I remember leaving a couple in like bathroom because like people would go in there and grab our business card and stuff. And the manager of the bar would be like, yeah, leave a couple of your CDs in the, in the genre, leave a couple at the bar and like, we'll hand them out for you. So we were doing that. This is pre-digital distribution. And then we were buying these CDs and we were kind of breaking even and we thought it was really fun. And then AJ, my business partner, one day goes, look, there's this new thing called podcasting where you can basically, instead of burning the MP3s to a CD, you can upload them onto a server and we could get like a shared server, rent some space from GoDaddy, upload those things, and then we can have like a really simple WordPress, I don't even know if it was WordPress back then, website with links and people can download the MP3 files if they right click and choose save as and all this stuff. That was it. Wow. And that was how we started and that was in 2006. You could play Oregon Trail and all that. Yeah, you could play Oregon Trail. Yeah. How long, and then were these analytics even available? Because I know iTunes are so stingy with stuff as it is for even us now. You know, how long was it before you started to see like, wow, we have a network here of people? Like, Yeah, it took a while, but luckily kind of soon after, hosting companies started to pop up because there was no good place to host your podcast. But they were geekware, right? It was like, we have the only server that's designed to download MP3s, you know, Libsyn or whatever it was way back then. And there was no YouTube at this point. Bear in mind, like YouTube hmm. basically, I don't think it existed. I think videos were on Viddler, which doesn't probably Uh-oh. exist anymore. I don't even know what that or you, And if YouTube was around, it was brand new. I mean, nobody was on it. It was less popular probably than podcasting if it even existed. And so we, we had the, our MP3s up and people were downloading them. And we had this thing called Site Meter, which is like pre-Google Analytics. It measured things in hits. I don't think that's a metric people use anymore. And so... We were looking at that. And I remember one day when we got SiteMeter installed, the next day we were like, we got 24 hits and we're stoked. We're dancing <laughs> in the kitchen. We ordered a pizza. We cracked open a couple of beers, popped in like a movie or whatever. And we were like 24 people that we don't even know got all of our voices in one day. This is insane. Oh, my God. <laughs> That has to be so oh, nostalgic wow. for you it's now. It's super like, funny. Telling that story now, yeah. right, in comparison. Oh. Well, what's funny is last month we hit 2.4 million downloads. So we are at, I don't even know the math, but like somewhere around the neighborhood of 100,000 times or something yeah. like that. Some exponential amount, yeah. Of downloaders we had on that day where we started measuring. So it was all pure. It was all because you enjoyed it, passion. When did it become like your business? Oh, this is interesting. There's a couple of turning points, but it became a business that was profitable when we started doing the show and people kept emailing us, can you teach us live or can I call you and pay you? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That's a huge pain. And there was a couple of first guys that were like insistent on it. And one guy was an immigrant from, I want to say Ethiopia named Omar that lived in Denmark. And he was like, I cannot make friends here. It is so hard what am I doing wrong? And I gave him a bunch of exercises, drills, and he would call me with his improvement on Skype and we tracked it and charted it. And I remember like at one point he was just so stoked because he's like, I have friends now. 
And I have a girlfriend, this is amazing. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. I should actually write him because it's really, really cool to see. That was one of our first clients. Another one of our clients was a mortgage banker that had stupid FU money. He had parties at the Kentucky Derby in a box, you know, probably cost like a hundred grand to have his team go down there. And he would do that. He was talking with us about, he's like, I can't tell when women actually like me and when they just like the accoutrements that I have in my life. So I need to filter for a real relationship. And I wanted you guys to teach my sales team. So he was one of those guys where I was like, it's going to be $100 an hour because we were charging like $25 an hour before that for that stuff. And then 50. He didn't even bat an eye, right? All right, here's five grand. And also you guys need to charge way more. And I remember going, how many times am I going to hear that we need to charge more before I understand it? So he just kept filling the retainer like a lawyer. And he's like, you're going to be a lawyer. You got to understand this retainer. All my service people are on retainers. So I would call him and I would just bill him for the amount of time that we were on the phone. It was insane. But it was really helpful for him. And he made a ton of money because the stuff he was passing on to his sales team about rapport building and all that stuff made him a ton of dough. In that moment too, when you're thinking 24 people, I remember the first moment when we had like a handful of people are listening. We're like, oh my God, this is so it's crazy. It's really cool. It's, it's kind of how now you ever go live on Facebook for some reason and you're like, oh, I never really do this, but I'm going to try it. I tried it once was like a while ago, LAX had this scare where they thought there was a shooter and everyone just ran out onto the tarmac emergency exits. And I was there and I started live casting the whole thing on Facebook, oh, wow. and I remember like 400 people at, were watching it, and NBC News had, was on Skype with me watching my live broadcast, and I was like, this is kind of how it felt when I realized people were downloading my crap on the internet. <laughs> and so it's that sort of frontier where you're like, holy crap, people are watching this live. People are paying attention, yeah. If you just upload a video, you could get a 1,000 views, and you're kind of like, whatever. It's just, it's up there. But if they're watching you while you're doing it, it's kind of incredible. There's something about it. It is. It's wild to think that where we've come, how you can be directly connected to that many people that are paying attention to the exact same thing, like instantaneously like that. Yeah. It, and like news crews can't even get there in time because of traffic, but I'm in there and they're like, what's the situation now at LAX? And I'm just like, holy crap, I'm doing this right now. <laughs> Don't you feel like that's going to be an obsolete, like that business going to be obsolete? Right? I mean, Largely. Like, right? I mean, you're going to need people who can write well and you're going to need curation at some level. Except curation is going to happen with artificial intelligence pretty soon. Right. It's going to be like the Apple News app, only it'll work. And it'll have like stories that only you like, stories that only you like. And even if they're video in nature, their segments being produced for a global audience, even if they produce a segment about dogs, there's going to be millions of people who want to see animal related segments. 100%. And they're going to get fed that nonstop until the AI thinks, well, after about three hours of cat segments. You know, Tim likes to hear about food because he's hungry. So let's <laughs> put some advertising we for Del Taco and talk about cooking related, health oh related. Like that's all going to happen. So you're going to get the type of segment you want when the computer knows it's going to be most interesting to you. How did you learn these skills? Like what made you develop these yourself in order to teach them? Can you connect to where all the way to your childhood where it? Uh... Yeah, I can actually. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating 
Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a funny story too, and I hope the statute of limitations is run on, on the following criminal activity. But basically, when I was a kid, I was an only child, and my parents were gone a lot of the time. And I got really interested in cellular phones because I got a computer and I met these like hacker guys that were messing around with the phone company. So I started doing that. And then I started to get interested in cell phones and programming them. And I found that you could, with these guys that taught me, is you could like go dumpster diving and get serial numbers from other people's stuff and from the cell phone store. And you could listen in on their phone calls. And I thought that's super interesting because I was 13. <laughs> Which at 13, that is way It was super cool. And you can program that cell phone so that you can make calls. So I was 13. I had a cell phone when nobody knew anyone anywhere that had a cell phone. I was 13 and I had one. And I had to tell my teachers that my dad got it for me because he was an executive at Ford and the company was paying for it or whatever. I had to make up a story, even though I worked earned the money, bought it, and then, of course, stole the service from some unsuspecting guy because <laughs> wow. I was a young criminal. But I started basically wiretapping where I was listening to phone conversations. And I remember one of my neighbors, because it, it, this is analog cell. It's not the internet where you're wiretapping somebody in the Philippines. This is local radio signals in your neighborhood. So I would go sit near my friend's house and I could hear this guy talking on his cell phone. I guess he didn't have a separate phone line in his house and he probably had a company line, so he didn't want other people to hear. He'd make calls on his cell phone. He was getting a divorce and he would call his soon-to-be ex-wife and they would have one variation of a conversation. And then there would be another phone call with him and his brother. They would have a totally different conversation about the same subject matter. He would call his boys and they would have this like machismo, I don't even care kind of conversation that I thought was really weird. And then they'd have a conversation with his sister where he was much more of kind of like a wounded animal. And then he'd have a conversation with his mom and he'd be like, why doesn't she love me, right? And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> this person is crazy. I remember thinking this is- Schizophrenic. This is the first time I saw somebody as a, an adult as a three-dimensional human being instead of just like an authority figure that had nothing else but a stern face. And so I got really interested in people 
And that is what kind of led me to believe that you can learn a ton about what makes people tick and get their motivations. And I remember even as a 13, 14 year old kid thinking to myself, if he had the same conversation that he had with his mom and sister with his soon to be ex-wife before they got to this point, they would probably have a pretty decent relationship Mm -hmm. because all this communication and vulnerability that he is totally not showing with his soon to be ex-wife He's got in spades with the women that raised him, but there's some weird disconnect. And I remember thinking that at age 13, and I remember thinking like, there's something here where we're gonna be able to figure this out. And I remember thinking about how to figure out women was a thing, and I would ask all my friends, and each guy had like one idea, and I started putting them together. At that point, then when I was in high school, I was like, if I add up all these techniques and I start testing them, this could be really interesting. And I did that a little bit in college and then that eventually became sort of the beginning of the art of charm because I was like, wait, if human psychology means that people are at some level predictable, then you can push the right buttons and pull the right strings and you can get reactions that you want. Now that sounds a little bit more manipulative than it ended up being, but as a kid, that was really appealing. And now I realize it's not so cut and dry. You can't just push this button and this result will come out unless you're dealing with people that are highly suggestible or like maybe damaged in some way. We had to sort of redo the formula, if you will, so that it works with people who have their stuff together that are smart, the kind of people that you wanna be around. Because you don't wanna just be pulling the strings on everybody and you're controlling it, you don't want that. People think they want that at some level when they lack control, but then when you get it, you realize, I don't wanna be the one who's telling everybody what to do. So you have to have a different set of charisma where it's like, they have to want to help you, they have to like you, they have to enjoy your company, they have to feel good around you, but not in that sociopath way where they're doing it to get a result. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Do you ever get into uh, debates or discussions with academia, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, you know, communication experts? Do they ever come up to you and say, hey, you're, you're right, you're wrong? Yeah, of course, a lot of the people on the show will come up and say, you're right about this. More so in the reverse kind of thing has happened where I'll read a science article that's like, studies show that there could be a correlation between people who make other people feel good in these certain specific ways and having success in their life. And it's like, yeah, no no kidding. (laughs) And they say these sort of vague things and they're like, we tested this by having people feel an affinity for one another by asking a specific set of questions. And I'll look at the set of questions and I'll go, this is basically the Art of Charm rapport building formula, but made as boring as humanly possible because they need to get like an academic set of results out of it. And so we have this running joke at the AOC offices where it's like, and once again, science gets 1% closer to knowing and proving what we've been teaching for 10 years. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and so, so we get a lot of research people on the show, scientists, neuroscientists, and I'm not saying, oh, these dumb scientists, they don't know anything. What they're doing is proving what we know anecdotally right now. And I like to go on as much science as I can when we teach and create content at AOC. We love to be science-based. But if there's no scientific study, but we can show that this is working mm-hmm, with our mm-hmm. clients, we'll still use it. What we won't do is make up some crap, like a lot of life coachy guys, and then mm-hmm. hope that it works because it makes sense. Like that's where we draw, obviously, well before that, we draw the line. Mm-hmm. But it's either gotta be science-based or it's gotta be something where the science is sort of pointing in that direction, but also we've done it 300 times. You know, it seems to me like, charisma or, uh, you know, th- that type of intelligence, right? That there's a strong genetic component 
um, to that. Like like most types of intelligence, right? You, some people are just naturally good at it, while other people have to kind of learn how to be good at it. it what what makes something someone charismatic? What are those things that you know? Because a lot of people do it without even realizing that they're doing it. They're just good at it. right. So so I will address that. It's a really interesting point because a lot of people do strongly believe that there's a genetic component and there there is always a genetic component for some things. For example, we know that taller and better looking people have better success. Closing and stuff, right? That sales, Yeah, right? sales and they tend to have more income overall and we'll just have to take their word for it given the current gene pool in the room. But like, <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna have to assume that that science is correct and hope that it's not correct. But we know that sort of genetic component, right? And we also know that people who are maybe they're a little bit less fearful of this because of that, that could be genetically influenced. But what we also kind of know is that there's always gonna be someone who goes, well, you know, I think it's genetic because my brother, he's really charismatic and I'm the quiet one. And you're like, well, maybe, or what's more likely is that when they were younger, the older sibling who's the quiet one grew up and you know, didn't hang out with other people that much because the father was working more because they panicked and they had a kid. And then in, when you get their life story, it starts to come together, right? It's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I had to entertain myself a lot and we couldn't afford latchkey. But then by the time you were born, dad had enough money and mom was only working part-time. So the kids were more social because he did more activities. And then at that point, their sister was old enough to kind of have friends over. And those friends came over and the youngest one was still in the house learning from girls in real life what they they were into and they talked a lot and the family, there was brothers and sisters, so the older friends were there. So the young kid grew up going, people are awesome and girls are easy to talk to and I can make friends easily. Whereas the older kids grew up going, I am at Latchkey, I read all day and then I watch TV and go to sleep. And those are circumstances that are underrated in terms of creating somebody who's outgoing. And then when you have somebody who's outgoing and doesn't have social fear, they become confident. And when they become confident, that's a reinforcing pattern much of the time. So they grow up and yeah, they get into sales and they're killing it or they become the outgoing person who becomes the person who everyone loves and it seems so natural and it seems genetic. Or you end up with a situation where it's like, yeah, my brother's the athlete, so he's the outgoing one. Well, it's not that he got both sets of genetics, outgoing and athletic, it's he decided to utilize what's probably a very similar set of genetics, became more of a sports-interested person, and therefore got a lot of attention, dealt with that attention by being quote-unquote popular and acting the part, which means that they now seem like, well, they just grew up and they were the cool guy. No, it was a result of social status bestowed upon him by athletics, which he got because he started doing sports early and liked it, whereas you did sports early and thought it sucked and ended up being the guy who joined Boy Scouts instead, like me. You know, that didn't make it <laughs> popular. And so it's very rarely is it actually genetic in a significant amount. I would say of course, there's always something genetic, like, well, my brother's on the autism spectrum, that's most likely genetic, that's going to cause problems socially, period, right? But two guys born to the same parents, all other things kind of being equal, most likely it's gonna come down to circumstances experienced early in life that make that seem like it's genetic. The thing that we're doing at Art of Charm is we're taking those circumstances throwing people into the fire early enough so that they go through those circumstances in large part in a condensed fashion at our boot camp or teaching them the things that they need to know on the show, on the Art of Charm podcast, that they can then utilize that are the things that people who learn this early on seem to know 
second nature. So things like body language, vocal tonality, and eye contact can be learned. It's just that other people who look like they got it naturally, they just learned it really, really early on and they forgot that they knew it. They're unconsciously competent of those particular skills. And so it seems subconscious. The good news is that whenever you do anything consciously and deliberately in a focused way, you can almost always overcome the people that have done this quote unquote naturally for a long period of time because your growth curve is like a 45 degree angle it's like working out, right? We know those guys growing up that were just strong, like old someone's older brother's just like a strong guy. He didn't lift weights all the time. He just somehow that guy was just jacked and you know, he played he did gymnastics or something like whatever. So you have that guy, but then you go to the gym and you're like, I want to be strong like Kyle's older brother. And you go to the gym and you work out and you work out and you work out. And then 3 years later, you run into that guy and you're like, "What? This guy's not strong. He just looks strong cuz I was less strong than him because I'd never lifted a weight in my life. But now I'm looking at him and I'm like, this guy, why was I always so intimidated by this guy? I tend to agree with you. And it's difficult to separate. Like they'll show studies that show reading to your children will increase their IQ by so much. But is it the reading or is it the fact that you have more communication with your children? You know, people with you know advanced degrees tend to have more intelligent children. Is it that they're intelligent themselves? Is it their education? Or is it that maybe they have more time at home? It's very difficult to separate those things. It's so hard, right? Like, I believe people who have advanced degrees have more intelligent children in part because maybe genetics play a part, sure. But also, people who have advanced degrees aren't necessarily smarter than people who don't. There are people who had more time and more money and more opportunity, but I guarantee you there are, of course there's a ton of people that don't have advanced degrees that are equally intelligent. It's just that maybe those people value education more, which right. is why they took yeah. seven years of freaking college. Mm -hmm. So of course they're going to say, well, I'm gonna make sure my kid goes to after school math classes Pay and blah, blah, blah. special attention to, yeah. And so are the kids more intelligent or are they just better educated? Do we even know the difference between and I'm sure someone will out there. I'm just saying I don't know the difference between somebody who's highly educated and looks the part versus somebody who was born with just a sweet kid IQ and is a genius. There are people clearly who have great logical processing that are genius level and can do math when they're eight that I can't even do right now, which is probably like long division. But, you know, <laughs> like there are definitely going to be things like that. But it's really hard to prove causation versus correlation, I guess, is this sort of cliche, right? Yeah, it's very difficult. Would you say that social intimidation or that anxiety or that lack of confidence when you're around people, would you say that that's probably the biggest contributor to somebody not having the kind of charisma that they want? Because, you know, anecdotally, when I'm observing people, obviously alcohol, probably the most popular drug to use when people go out, alcohol, it lowers your inhibitions and people feel like they can talk to people and all of a sudden they feel charismatic, mainly because it makes you feel less inhibited. Yeah, it's definitely going to play a huge part. Social anxiety of any type, and I'm not talking about like chronic clinical social anxiety of the type where you see very rarely where the person's like, I'm not gonna leave the house. I mean, you hear about that, but it's so rare. I can count on one hand the number of AOC clients in the past decade that have said things like, well, you know, I played World of Warcraft in my basement for 10 years and didn't go to any family functions and I need to recover from that. And they're, you know, that's so rare. That's such a, like a pathology, it's so rare. Most of the time, it's something like, yeah, I studied a lot in high school and then I studied a lot in college and I had friends, but, then I graduated and I was in a fraternity, you know, it was really cool, but now I have a job and I realize, holy crap, I don't know how to make friends with people when I don't live with them and I don't wanna hang out with the people from work because they're all old sales guys or whatever. 
or I only have three friends I hang out with at work, and I just moved to a new town, what the hell am I gonna do? It's not guys who have tape on their glasses and tie their shoelaces together, it's guys and girls who are like, I just don't know what to do right now because I've never had to turn the computer off and turn it back on again and build a life, or divorced people. I mean, imagine right now, this is what it's like to be divorced in a lot of ways, so I've heard this from AOC clients. Imagine that you woke up one day and you've never seen a smartphone. It's basically the kind of the same thing, like you've never seen the internet. So you don't know how to date online. You don't know how to text somebody and flirt. The last time you flirted with anybody was live and it was before mobile phones existed. You passed them a note. Yeah, yeah you passed them a note. You met your wife, your ex-wife, soon to be your former whatever, in college or high school. Where do you meet people? Where do you date? How do you court them? It's all completely foreign. And so we get a lot of people like that who just need to come in and figure this stuff out again. It definitely makes, I mean, what you're saying makes so much sense that it's a skill that you have to practice and learn. But I think a lot of people get stuck in the belief like, you know, I'm just going to be myself. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, try to make friends because then that means that I just need to be who I am. And who I am is just this quiet person who's afraid to talk to people. And I've heard people actually say that, like, just be yourself and you don't worry about trying to act like someone else. And, you know, what do you say to people like that? Well, there's a couple schools of thought here, and I, and I definitely understand that. So the people that usually say be yourself, if they're your close friend, they're looking out for you and they wanna protect you from what they think is probably some sort of scammy thing. If, they're, if you're like, I'm gonna go to the starter charm thing, like, what the hell, you don't need that. What they're saying is, if you acted like you did with me and you could compress and condense the three years of experience or 10 years of experience I have knowing you, and digest that essence, and then somehow magically communicate that to the person you're interested in, you'll be just fine. Because here's yourself, right? When you go out on a date, you get a haircut, you put on a sweater you never wear, you wear cologne that you never wear, you trim your beard, you make sure that you look good, you get a pump or whatever at the gym beforehand, right? And women are there. Rub one out sometimes. Why the fuck you look at me yeah. like that when you say that? <laughs> yeah. motion to me over there. <laughs> little guilt, little guilt. Women are getting their hair done or they're doing their hair, they're putting on a nice dress, they're putting on makeup. Do either of you look like that? It's like that Chris Rock's <laughs> piece, right? You're, they're meeting your yeah. representative. Neither of you look like that ever. Your representative. And it's like, they're meeting your representative, you're not being yourself, but what the other person means is, look, I like you because I know you really, really well. If you can communicate that essence to the other person, you'll be fine because at the base level, you're a likable, lovable person. The problem is- That's a skill. It's, it's a skill and it's not a helpful one because that person is the same person that will be able to tell you exactly what they think they should say, but not articulate at all what they should respond to. And I re here's a classic example of this from when I was younger. I remember asking my buddy's sister how to get uh, this girl to like be my girlfriend. I was probably 13 or 14 years old. Like I was really young. And she goes, buy her some flowers and compliment her shoes and stuff like that. So I did that and the girl was like, whatever. And when I told, <laughs> my, too hard. When I told my friend's sister that, about that, she goes, what, that's so weird, that would totally work on me. But then when we got older, I realized this girl dated like motorcycle riding, kind of like bad boy guys. And I was like, that guy didn't buy her flowers. He makes <laughs> her cry all the time. <laughs> and he certainly isn't like, nice shoes, great handbag, yeah, Janice. Yeah. Where'd you get that? No, he's like a guy who shows up late or not at all. And she's like into oh, yeah. the guy because he has a tattoo. Get on, my, get on my bike. Totally. Yeah. And I was like, what? There are totally different dynamics at play here. And I remember joking about it with her later on because she still, as an adult, was like, 
yeah, I'm just trying to get her brother a date uh, with this other girl. He just broken up and gotten out of a long relationship. And he's like, yeah, I just keep telling him, you know, just be super sweet. He's such a super sweet guy. Just be super sweet. And I go like, Janice, would that work on you? And she's like, of course. And I was like, let's talk about the last two guys you've dated. And she's like going through the stories. And I'm like, did either of them do any of the things we just talked about? And she goes, well, no, it's so funny. I've never thought about this. And I'm like, <laughs> she's not a dumb girl. She's a smart girl. She has a great career. The problem is we don't know what we respond to. We can't articulate that. We only know what society says we should like. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good Great point. point. Yeah. Very, very good point, though. It's so crazy when you think about that, man. It's like an automated response. It's automated and it's programmed into us by our childhood. And so it, Janice isn't lying. The people who tell you that you should just be yourself, they're not lying. They're not steering you yeah. poorly. They just don't understand what that entails. Mm. There's another school of thought uh, that says uh, to sort of address the other prong of that fork, which is, oh, yeah, I don't want to try to be someone that I'm not. The truth is what we teach at AOC is largely a subtractive process. It's not about adding fake layers to your personality. It's about getting rid of the weird insecurity that people have where they're like, all right, I got to take up a lot of space so I look cool and alpha. And they do this weird overcompensated body <laughs> language. And then it's like, oh, I got to tell cool stories because I read on the internet that if you make up a cool story about how you dated a model and you have a Ferrari, girls will like you. So they're doing that. That's not being themselves, but also you're not being yourself when you go out and you try to act casual, right? It doesn't work. So when people tell you, I don't want to have to do this extra stuff, I totally agree with that. Don't add on extra layers to your personality, but please do get rid of the insecurity that says that girl's not in your league or that job isn't something you can do or that you're probably not smart enough to handle the conversation with these entrepreneurs. That's the stuff we need to subtract. Mm -hmm. And so also maybe there is a third prong to the fork here. Largely the guys that really lean into, I don't want to have to be someone I'm not. Those are the guys that really, really expect that the girl in their life is going to be super bomb hot, look great, work out every day, be tan, wear makeup, have great fake boobs and some hair. And yet he wears like a dirty mustard stained hockey jersey, baggy jeans, plays Xbox, and it doesn't have a job. Yeah, yeah. Those are the guys that tend to go, signal. she should love me for me. And it's like, what exactly says, why do you think that you deserve what you want? <laughs> you don't. You got to work on yourself if you're going to bring someone into your world. And those are the guys that understand, okay, I don't want to have to pretend I'm someone I'm not, but I sure as hell know that I've got to do the work to deserve what I want. And so usually the people that complain, I don't want to have to be someone I'm not. It's like, take a look in the mirror and make sure you, one, are working on creating the person that deserves the kind of thing that you want. And two, that this isn't just parroting advice because you're too lazy to work on yourself. Well, just hearing that makes me think, okay, and I haven't been to your school. I don't even know the format, really how it lays out. I would have to guess that probably the first day is almost breaking down these walls and like major self-awareness. Is first day like the, this? The is first day really is like that. So the first day we do, we videotape our clients working with our improv girls, which we, oh, have, wow. we have this like improv troupe of girls that are super funny, super cool. They come in, they teach a little bit of improv and then the guys learn how to start conversations with them. And this is for our guys' residential program. This one's not open to women because it's residential and they're packed in like a boot camp. We do have coaching classes for women. It's just a different format, just to be super clear to the female mind pumpets. But the first day, what we will do is, what we're doing is we're looking for body language and little ticks. We used to do this on like the third day. 
And it was really good because the guys could get a ton of skills under their belt. And now we do it on the fourth day and the first day. And the reason we moved it to the first day was this. One, we wanted to see dramatic improvement in a short period of time to give guys some quick wins. But two, there was one small part of them or maybe a large part of them that said, I don't really need this. I'm not sure if I really need this. When you see yourself on video blowing it, even though you're in a controlled environment where everything should be okay, you have a really hard time telling yourself that you're too cool for school. It's very hard to refute the videotape when you go, wow, I looked really bad right there. And then we teach you how to fix it and you go up and do it again and you can see the improvement and then we tweak something else and we tweak something else and we tweak something else. When you see yourself on video like that, iterations, you see the quick wins, you realize, wow, maybe I do need this stuff. Or if you came in thinking, I'm useless, I can't learn this stuff, these guys are gonna kick me out of here, I'm not gonna get my money's worth, I'm never gonna learn anything, and you see those quick improvements, you go, wow, okay, I can do this. So now we do it on the first day and we do it on the fourth day because it's such a potent tool to see yourself, see your nonverbal communication, see the way that other people interact with you and realize like, holy crap, if this is what I look like in class, this is what I'm gonna look like when I go out and apply this, at least for the most part. And they're right, well, that's what happens. Well, so let's go back for a second. I wanna talk about the differences that you find between men and women. Like, what do you typically have to teach women versus what you have to teach men? And So, so we have a totally separate coaching program for women, as I mentioned, and there's a few reasons for that. One, the podcast where we talk about female-oriented topics, dating-related topics, we're talking about different channels that men look at versus what women look at. So for example, guys, we look at appearance at signs of youth and fertility as a major, major consideration. Women look at that as well. However, it's probably, if that's like one third or 50% or 70% for guys in terms of weight, for women it might be like 15%, 10%, something like that. As both sexes both look at the same set of characteristics, but the importance is weighed so differently. So we wanna be sure that we're teaching the right things to both men and women, and that's just one of a few reasons. The other reason is that it's a residential program, there's a liability concern there. We actually don't want people hooking up, I don't wanna deal with the drama, I don't want that in class, I don't want territorial crap happening between guys and girls in the facility, so we don't mix the programs. We could run separate female programs and separate male programs concurrently at the same time. However, we found that a lot of guys are, are actually stoked to hear that they're in kind of like this boot camp, roughing it at a nice mansion in Hollywood with a pool table. <laughs> you know, they're like, there's a group element that sort of is tribal, cool thing, AOC Brotherhood, when we put women in a very similar situation, it was a lot more like, oh, this is really just uncomfortable, I need personal space, and we found that the camaraderie thing did not happen in the same way with women as it did with men, and I'm not saying that women don't have a camaraderie and that they can't bond in that way. Just noticed this. It's just the way that we were doing that at the time was not working the same way for women, and the liability thing, and the other thing is, when guys are in a room and we wanna get to the bottom of some crap that they're dealing with and we're figuring out why are they overcompensating with their body language, why are they acting this way when they should be this way, why can't they be vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. We don't even allow journalists in there that are female only under certain circumstances and for certain periods of time because as soon as you put a female in a room with a bunch of guys, vulnerability ceases, walls go up, guys sit up in their chairs and they start doing things like, yeah, I don't know, bro, instead of <laughs> talking about their real thing that's going on. And so we just realized it's kind of like spraying something in the air. It may literally be some sort of pheromone activated stuff, who knows. But when there's a female anywhere around a group of guys, 
there's competition, vulnerability, posturing, and that is exactly the opposite of what we need in order to be able to get in there. It's kind of like I'm trying to work on the engine of a car and someone keeps slamming the hood on my freaking head the whole time. I'm like, okay, if every time I turn around, you're going to slam the hood shut or on my hand while I got a wrench in there, like I can't help you. So we can't have mixed. It just doesn't work for us. So was there a specific incident or time where you where you guys were trying it before and it was like, okay, enough is enough. Like, I've seen enough. Like, we can't do this anymore. Or did just over time you realize that it's better separate? Like, we how did started that- teaching guys because it was just like, I still wanted to focus on skill sets that I was using for myself. We started teaching a little bit of females like on the phone coaching side. It turned out that our demographic of the early show, the early Artist Charm podcast was mostly guys. It still is, but it's it's far less skewed male now. I still mostly focus on what to teach men because women get a lot of advice from pretty decent sources and a lot of crap from like gawker style, mm-hmm. rags, Cosmo, whatever. But there's a lot of advice out there for women and a lot of it's decent. For men, the advice out there is complete crap. It's from Maxim where it's like, how to get a hot chick. And it's like, I was going to ask where Abercrombie cologne. It's like, get yeah. the f- out of here. You've heard of like uh, the millionaire matchmaker yeah. and like all these kinds of shows that I have. sprung up. So I was interested to hear your take on those shows and like, you know, what kind of advice do you think it's sound advice they're, they're giving out or is there? No, especially that show, I think, is just classic garbage. If you notice, and I don't expect you to remember anything, episodes of that show, but all that woman does is yell at and berate (laughs) the guy. Yes. And it's like not helpful. It's like the trainers on reality shows. Right. Gotta be like that. Exactly. Yes. Come on, you're going to be a wuss. Like, I don't want my trainer to only have that function. That's the last rep only or something. I don't know. Yeah. They got to have a real function. That's a really good analogy that I'm going to have to use at some point. The millionaire matchmaker is to reality TV show trainers as kind of the art of charm is to like an actual trainer who's like, okay, here's your diet plan. Mm -hmm. Here's why we're going to work on these muscle groups. You've got some rotator cuff issues. We're going to have to work around those. But that doesn't make for good TV. Yep. It'd be boring. It'd be boring, even though it would be super useful. So for a show that's about dating on television, it's always like, oh, well, I'm going to yell at them and embarrass them and tell them to stand up straight and like dress them like an idiot or dress them not like an idiot, even though casting had them walk in in a sweater vest because I need to fix your disaster. But it's never going to be that simple, right? So I think that stuff is just pop crap. And especially for guys, if you wanted to get advice to become a better man, if you're watching Millionaire Matchmaker, (laughs) you're in so much trouble, (laughs) except for what are your alternatives? You can look for advice for women. You can try to read a bunch of weird self-help books that are like, wish it, want it, and you can do it. Like that stuff is garbage too. It's not useful, has its place maybe in some respects. But then where are you going to get advice? You only have friends and family to talk to. And what do they say? Be yourself. yourself. So it's not helpful. There's no real source of advice for guys. And that was true 10 years ago. It's somehow still true now. There's other podcasts and shows out there and you guys have advice for guys, especially in like the fitness arena and I would imagine the health biohacking. So there's more, thankfully, good advice. But unfortunately, with the fact that we now have this access to give really good advice, there's also so many people out there that are like, hey, if you take this to Cyber, you're totally gonna lose weight. Yeah. No, it's money grab. So we're still fighting to be a credible source of good advice for guys and nobody seems to be super interested in that as you guys have probably seen 
The only competition were crappy magazines that were like, literally there were magazines doing product placement in advice articles for guys where it's like, first of all, you gotta smell good. We like Abercrombie Cologne. And I'm thinking, holy crap, you're putting a product in there with a price next to it in a supposedly advice article for dating advice and your first tip is smell good? (laughs) What happens if you're a guy who's emotionally got issues, you just got out of a long relationship, it's not because you smell bad. You're doing a hundred other things that are more wrong than smelling bad. A hundred. It's so mirrors what we're doing. Oh, I know. If you could just only imagine our uphill battle yeah. talking Supplements to meatheads. And, oh, my God. Yeah, meathead guys and then trying to get this health and wellness message across to them and say, no, listen, you can look badass. You could have the physique that you want to look if you want to look like a bro, but you don't have to act like a bro. Right. Like, trying to get that message through is for sure an uphill battle. I mean, I feel like we're slowly but surely penetrating that market. I think we're definitely probably listened to by more women than we, I think more women have bought our programs. I think we've looked into that already. I don't know if that is for you or not. I don't know if you're more male or female dominant. Much more male dominant. I mean, the last survey we did was probably like 80% men. It's probably more like 75%. I would imagine because when it comes to courtship, you know, society makes it like the man is the one that does the approaching. True. And if you're a woman and you go to a bar, you know, and you're hanging out, there's probably guys are going to come up and talk to you. Mm -hmm. If you're a guy and you go to a bar and you stay to yourself, nobody's going to come up and talk to you. No, nobody's going to come. And and those are the early days of the show. Like now, as we talked before, Tony Hawk, Stanley McChrystal, I've got a lot of neuroscientists. That stuff is completely unisex. The advice we've given has been mostly unisex for years and years and years. However, this was the final pillar kind of thing. I only want to speak from my experience perspective. So if I don't have experience in a given area, I usually try to get a guest to come on and talk about it. However, and I will give advice here and there based on like, well, knowing what I know, this is the best course of action. However, what I won't say is what Millionaire Matchmaker does, which is, oh, all you need to do is this, 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 and this. How do you know? As far as y'all know, I've never been a woman. Get a spray tan. Right, just get a spray <laughs> tan. So it's it makes no sense for me to go out and tell a bunch of female ALC listeners, well, you know, in order to get more dates, you need to be doing this, 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 and this, because I can't speak from experience. All I can do is it's all conjecture. So I got to get a guest on there that knows their stuff. I don't want to have a guest every single day and talk about something when I have plenty to say myself. So that's why a lot of the advice, excuse me. So your dilemma, right, is the same dilemma that we had with creating programs is we knew that everybody wants just the quick answer. What should I do? And the message that we give is like, it's not that simple, you know, and part of you figuring out what what program is best for you or where you need the most help is learning how to connect these dots and like really learn to reflect and look at yourself and look at the things where, where all this comes from, like, and listen to you talk about even the, the art of charm and that it's not as simple as like, you can't just give me this phone call and tell me, Hey, I'm having problems with this. I can't do this. I can't do that. What do I do? Although doesn't it seem like that's what people want though? They want you. They do. Yeah. And, and I totally understand that when I first started doing any of this stuff, any self-help related stuff or personal growth related stuff, we didn't even call it that back then, like in high school and college, I just wanted a solution to the problem. I wasn't like, oh, I'm feeling a little social anxiety, so I need to get more confident by being able to be more comfortable in my own skin, and that comes from learning nonverbal communication and body language and being able to read others and developing emotional intelligence. No, screw that. What do I say to girls that I want to bang? <laughs> and if you're not going to tell me that. Then panties off. Right. Like, if you're not going to tell me that, then I'm going to move right along to the next thing. <laughs> and, What's the magic phrase? Right. Yeah. Right. And that's how marketing works on the low end, right? Like, when you look at a lot of marketers in your niche, for example, the guys who have the dumbest audience 
and coincidentally, not coincidentally, the youngest audience as well, those guys, their sales letters and marketing are all like, get shredded in two weeks. And so people are like, why would I want to get shredded over a year with Mind Pump and be smart <laughs> when I can get shredded in two weeks with Xenadrine XXL? I'm just going to buy that. Yeah, we sell a program that's nine months long. Yeah. I'm, yeah. No, that's why. That's like why nine why times longer than reference that. We talked about that the last time we got together. So you pointed out some things that were right away like glaring about guys, right? We do this like douchebag move where we posture and we start talking bro like. What were some of the things or common things you found with women that were their challenges or their major robots? blocks with moving or progressing in, in the art of charm. Yeah, I mean, basically everything that applies to one sex applies to both sexes, just not in equal measure. So there's a lot of posturing that women do, especially when other women are around, which is fortunately not that big of a deal when it comes to dating most of the time, because guys are just like, I'm going for the one that I want anyway, or all, <laughs> or all of them or whatever. There's a lot of, a lot of what I, I find women are doing, especially with the dating stuff. And again, this is secondhand observation and my own observation only. It's not, this is not like a scientific study that is applicable to everybody. A lot of what is keeping women from dating is not, oh, I can't get a guy to say hello to me. That's very rare. Usually men's relationships fail is before the first date. And where a lot of women's relationships fail are on date number three or four or five mm -hmm. because this stuff comes out later. They're getting asked out all the time, generally. There's exceptions, of course, and go down that road later, but it's less interesting in my opinion. A lot of what's keeping women from being in the relationships that they want are poor communication skills, using drama to try to control situations instead of using communication to control situations. Guys do that too. Again, I wanna be super clear that anything that applies to one sex applies to both sexes, just not in equal measure. The drama thing I think happens probably in equal measure. There's a lot that goes along with trying to not get hurt again, playing defense. A lot of women do that. Guys do that too to some extent. Women seem to do it more. As guys, and you you know this because we have probably done it. Like every guy that I know has totally screwed over some girl at some point in their life emotionally, like dumped them for no reason or dumped them for a terrible reason or dumped them in a harsh way because they didn't want to deal with it. And that's something that sticks with a lot of women for a long time. So if they don't sort of get that processed, then it stays around for a while and can infect. Our baggage always infects our next relationship. The problem is if it's a vulnerability thing, that's gonna be a serious deal breaker for guys and girls alike. But using drama to control situations seems to be something that guys and girls both do. However, I see it more with women, not because they do it more, but because guys screw up in other ways faster. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Like a guy will blow it by like doing a million other things wrong, like showing up wrong or like saying something stupid and being insincere, being inconsiderate well before the drama to control the situation can even play a role. They can't even get to that. Step. They can't even get to that mistake. <laughs> that mistake is like 10 weeks Clumsy. ahead of where they blew it. But women will often get to a point where they'll be using drama to control a situation and that works on the guys that they don't necessarily want to be with long term. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So that's the problem is you end up filtering in the wrong partner because you're able to control that person and you're like, great, this is working. I can do it. And then after a while, you're like, this guy's Play-Doh. I'm so not attracted to this person. I got to get out of here. And then you've created a monster because then the guy's like, no, Angela, I love you. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, no, I've got a stalker. And yeah. you're like, what did you do to create the situation? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes nothing, to be fair. There's a lot of stalker guys out there. But sometimes it's like you made this Frankenstein in your basement. Because it's not the first time. 
right, you got to deal with the monster. This is the third one. Another stalker, Janice? <laughs> mm. How did that happen? There's one common denominator in the stalker yeah. situation. Right. Here. Like, yet another one. Hmm. Yeah. Funny He's hiding that. behind that bush over there. Yeah. <laughs> How much of the business, because, I mean, God, you've been doing this for 10 years. So I would think in this era of social media and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and make sure you do your relationship status, like how much of your business has had to mold and change to teaching that? Because I feel like this is almost a new, especially for us guys that are born in the, if we're 35 plus years old, this is pre-Twitter. This is pre-Instagram. This is pre all of that way of communicating. And sometimes we talk, and we've talked about this before, like, man, one of our first episodes we did, what was the decline of the modern man, and we got into some of that, the technology, and the, the now we don't have to have the same social skills as we had before because everything is, like, on this phone and instant connectivity and stuff. Has that affected, do you feel like you have to speak to that in the school? Like, listen, you know, just because you can send an emoji or whatever like that, and this that's not real communication. Yeah, like or is it a different set of skills? Yeah, it's a different set of skills. It's good. Okay. You'd pointed that out because exactly when this is so funny and it totally puts a date on everything. But texting wasn't even popular in the U.S. until what, like 2007 or eight or something. I bet if we look at it, it's peaked around 2011 or 12 or something. Right? It's new ish for us here. So we wrote a book about this that is so goofy and outdated now. But we did a bunch of shows about this and we still talk about this where it's like texting how to keep a girl or person interested in you for a longer period of time, why you shouldn't be developing rapport through texting and social media, why you should only use it as an attraction phase type thing, flirting, logistics only. Like we did a whole thing about that. I knew you would have got into this. Oh yeah, man, big time. You have to because it's it's so different now. That's that's, that's it. That's part of the dating world now. If you you don't learn that skill, it's very difficult. All right, maybe you're not on Match.com writing like, hey, Angela, really loved your profile pic. I really like dogs too. Let's go surfing sometime, right? You had to do that at some point in 2000 and whatever if you were in the dating pool. You had to be adept at sending messages on sites like that. Now you have to be good at the instantaneous kind of Tindery type stuff, which is essentially texting with a couple of twists. But you have to be good at that because if you're just like, hey, after you match and the girl's like, hey, and you're like, you're cute, wanna (laughs) hang out? You're immediately doing what every other guy does. Right. You've got to stand out. There's all these little strategies. And I guarantee you now, we're not going down this road, but I guarantee you right now that there's going to be, if there isn't already, and it may be of dubious quality, so I'm not recommending anything, there's probably some dating coach person out there who's like 25 and is like, this is the Snapchat game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is how it works. And this mm-hmm. is how you send your messages. And this is when you do it. And this is why you make this length of message and don't do messages with your shirt off because that's played out. There's going to be right. some guy out some there sneak in the dick pic, you know, at the end. Yeah. Like <laughs> for a second, just but like it's subliminal. You can't yeah. really tell. <laughs> can't see it. And it's vanished. It's going to get deleted. Like, yeah. It's like, is that your you dick? And like, size. Yeah. It's all like neuro linguistic programming with pictures. Like, hey, check out my watch. <laughs> yeah. That's not I your mean, wrist. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. 12. It's high noon. Yeah. There's going to be some, and I put this in air quotes, science going on where guys are working on that because there's demand for it. It's not where we're headed. I mean, now we've got Peter Diamandis coming on next month to talk about the future of AI and how that's going to affect human behavior. So we've taken a much more mature turn in 
direction, I like to think. So speaking to that, okay, so one of the things, uh, I mean, right away when we, I remember when we first met you, we all headed off. We all had great things to say about you. When we dug through the podcast, like, dude, this is so cool. Definitely something that, something we all want to go to. I think it would be great for all of us to experience for the week. Where do you see uh, the business going? Are you... I mean, really, uh, where you're at now is where I see it, where we want to be with fitness, right? We want to have these very similar, like either weekend or week-long courses where we teach all this programming and teach you how even how to sell the programs and how do you build this virtual business online. So we have very similar things as far as like our goals. Now, where do you see yourself from here? Or what are you trying to do with the business? Like, Yeah, I love doing the show. Like, I love to talk. I love to interview people. I want to make that audience larger because it gives me a cool way to influence people in a positive way. So that's what I like to do. Creating products and services for the people that listen to the show is what we're doing now. We've got a networking product that's all online. It's both for guys and gals, I like to say, because sometimes, I guess you can't really say girls now in certain parts of, it's actually a little outdated, right? Oh yeah, so funny you bring that up. We were in Austin Tech, this is just last week, and uh, we were at the Onnit Academy, we're getting these, they have these little smoothies. There's like three little girls, cute girls behind the bar and this guy and they're serving us our smoothies. We to, we totally tell them to, you know, hey, you choose. We've never seen this menu before. Whip us up a cool drink. And the girl's like, all right, cool. We're going to make you this. I'm like, awesome. Right away, I tried to taste it. I was like, oh man, great job, girls. Drink was awesome. I'm saying that. And right when I'm saying that, there's this girl who just kind of looks up at me in the corner of her eye and she's just like, goddesses, lady, ladies, uh, women, lionesses. She get lionesses. And she starts like, like lionesses. That's a new one. Like rambling. And it took me a minute for to pick up on it. And she was referring to me, referring to the girls as girls. Oh man. And, like it was disrespectful so much to the point that we got our drinks. We left. I felt obligated to go back. And I, I said, Hey, I just want to apologize to you ladies. I didn't mean to disrespect you. If you felt by referring to you as girls, as that was disrespect. And they all laughed and said it was no big deal. Yeah. But obviously somebody had an yeah, issue. Yeah. Like, could you not just totally wear all your emotions on your sleeve? Right I don't, there? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because I just talked about how people put any input comes through your own emotional filter first. Yeah. So if you're insecure because you feel disempowered as a female, well, somebody saying, thanks girls is going to be super offensive to you. But if you're comfortable in your own skin and you grew up around that and it's not insulting, in fact, it can be a term of respect or endearment, you know, any way that you want, then you don't care at all. It's all about the way that she was processing that. Totally emotional filter. 100%. If I was at my home turf, the asshole in me would totally call it right out. Yeah, and be like, I would you ask can, her. You can call them whatever you want. As a girl, you're allowed to do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, like, I don't, I just don't want to be that old dude that just doesn't change his verb. Doesn't term. get it. Yeah. Right, right, Uncle, right, right. you can't say that anymore. Oh, but when you get to a certain age, you're allowed to do whatever you want. I think 70 is that where you can grab, like, fucking grab asses. <laughs> yeah. Slap them on the butt. Oh, great job, honey. Great job, toots. Yeah. That's a good Adam one. does that to Doug all the time. Super awkward. Pinches him. He's like, over here, tits. Uh, still a little too young to get away with it now. Yeah. yeah. Come here, sugar britches. I need another iced tea. Uh, sugar <laughs> so yeah, the future. You got to tell me the future yeah. of uh, where you're where you're going with this. And yeah. Oh, so we do have a unisex product, Social Capital. It's about networking. It's for guys and gals, ladies, lionesses, whatever. Thank you. Yes, um, lionesses. And that is all about like networking, reaching up into your organization to higher ups, reaching across laterally in your industry, getting jobs, becoming somebody who's a central figure in, in your industry, creating a little bit of a platform so you become more well-known. And that's our social capital product. And it's like, it involves coaching and there's drills and exercises and workbooks and stuff like that. It's all online. 
And that course is really cool. Next year, we've got a monthly course coming out where we're going to have more in-depth learning and workbooks that where like maybe Larry King, when he came on the show, talked about, eh, here's what I learned in 60,000 conversations. But what he might come on and do, it'd be like, here's how I elicit really good stories from people. And then we'll talk about that. And that'll be like a monthly thing with a workbook and exercise. And we let the AOC fan base, the fanarchy decide where that goes. So if that, if the, if there's enough months coming up where it's like, I want to learn how to deal with this relationship issue, we'll create that content and deliver that to everybody. And that's sort of a monthly thing. So that's very cool. Online products are, are big. Our boot camps, as much as we do sell out two to three months in advance, we do want to expand and do some in other parts of the world. It's going to be kind of hard to do this stuff in every city, but we're definitely looking at like, we should do one in Sydney. We should do one in Tokyo. We should do one in Munich during Oktoberfest, you know, stuff like that. We've done stuff like that in the past. It's just, it was kind of a pain and we had all this logistics, but now we've got a real team, not just like three dudes living in an apartment. We've got a budget, we've got assistance, we've got real ways to make it work. To put it this way, the last time I ran an overseas boot camp, we didn't have mobile phones that would work in other countries. Remember that shit? Wow. <laughs> Come on. That's crazy, dude. That is so crazy. That's very cool. Uh, before we uh, we sign off here, quick tip on body language that we that some of our listeners can take away. Here's a drill that I love. It's called the doorway drill. And the reason it's important is because when people decide, all right, I'm going to work on my personal magnetism, my confidence, it always comes down to your first impression. And one common misnomer, or common mistake, I should say, or misconception is that your first impression is the first thing you say or the first thing that you do to create an impression on other people. It's not. Your first impression is when you become a blip on their radar. And so what that means is it's when they see you. It's not when you decide to make your entrance. And so to put this in a context that's sort of uh, along the lines of what we were talking about before, imagine I come downstairs into a bar. My friends are on the right side of the bar. There's a group of goddesses, lionesses, whatever on the left. <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, those girls are really cute. Oh, damn it. Those <laughs> yeah, are, right. Oh, those women are really cute. I want to go talk to them later as soon as I have three Jack Daniels and Coke or something like that. So you go meet your friends and you have some drinks. And then after a while, you're like, I'm going to go over there and say hello. Right. And so you walk over there and you're like, hey, what's going on, ladies? What are you drinking? And they're like, Psh, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. And you go, damn it. You know, and you go back and you tell your friends and they're like, oh, you said that. That's so stupid. You got to have this cool, clever pickup line, blah, blah, blah. Here's all these things you did wrong. It's not what you did wrong. What you did wrong happened 20 minutes ago when you walked in and you had your hands in your pockets or you were looking down or your friend made fun of you and they caught that and you didn't react or you did this other thing or you, you're you not taking up enough space or you're taking up too much space and you're overcompensating. That was your first impression, not this crap thing that you said when you slid down and walked over there. That had nothing to do with it. They already had their minds made up oh, well. because you were a blip on the radar. So what this means, though, is that you're making your first impression non-verbally 99.9% of the time because you're seen before you're heard almost every single time unless you're going to come into each venue and go I'm here and I look confident <laughs> and I have open positive body language and I'm yeah I'm that so, might actually I'm work so I actually do that, do that. Uh, yeah, we're gonna I'm take, here I start playing air guitar I have arrived it works <laughs> congratulations everyone yeah. like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure mm. you- <laughs>
This yeah. is so true though, because I've always told I've always told people that like when you when you meet somebody that has that charisma, they have an aura about them before that even anything comes out of their mouth. And it's it's the way they carry themselves, the way others look at them when they come in the room. Like Yeah, that too. Right? The way other people react to yes, them. Yes, that's so powerful. If you walk in with Have this, your friends walk in first, you walk in, they don't know that you're friends, have your friends react real strongly to you, boom. Whoa. But it's even uh, that like guy's a, awesome. Yeah. It's even though <laughs> yeah. like look it's even that muscles. interaction, like they're observing that even if they don't realize they are, they are observing that interaction. Like you said, you walk in, you come in, you already have this confidence. As soon as you walk over to your boys and you're talking to them, you don't seem to be the friend who comes over and just kind of blends in. It's like all of a sudden you lead the circle. Like if you have that aura about you, you're already closing the deal before you walk over and you say anything to those ladies because they've already decided like, oh, this guy's the man. I could just see, you know? Exactly. Here's where the doorway drill comes into play, right? So in order to get better at nonverbal communication, you've got to do a, got to break a lot of bad habits, bad posture, closed body language like arms crossed or, you know, weird bad eye contact, things like that, crappy like rounded back all this different stuff that a lot of people do, even subconsciously, where like maybe they'll lean up against a wall and then cross their legs or something like that. All those are subconscious signals of fear slash not trying to take up enough space, things like that. There's a lot of little weird things. So we do this drill where we teach people to stand up, sit upright, pull your shoulders back, chin up. It's hard to do without going off mic in this chair, but you guys get the idea. It's pretty standard, good posture, open body language, smile on your face, and you don't have to exaggerate it too much or you'll look like an idiot. But here's the problem. Guys and girls will then go, I'm gonna do that next time I go to a networking event or next time I go out. What happens one minute after you go out and you're gonna work on your body language? You just forget. You just forget, it goes out the window, it's not a habit. So what the doorway drill does is it relegates your nonverbal communication to, to as a matter of habits so that you don't have to focus on it. Because even if you're really good at focusing on things and you think, no, 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 I'm really mindful, I can do this, I'm gonna set an alarm every five seconds. When you're in an interaction with somebody else and you're trying to micromanage your nonverbal communication, you can't be present and have an interesting conversation at the same time. You have to relegate it to the level of habit. So the doorway drill is that upright, shoulders back, chin up, chest up, not too exaggerated, smile on your face, open body language, but you do that every single time you walk through a doorway, even in your own house. So every time you go through a doorway, you straighten up. And you're going through doorways all day, every day, in your office, at work, when you're not at work, every single freaking day. So if you can remember it even 50% of the time, you're gonna start to remember it more and more and more and you're gonna get that habit down. Then when you walk downstairs the next day or the next few weeks, next months, whatever, you go to Starbucks, what happens when you walk in the door? Smile on your face, open positive body language, and you're looking good, right? That changes the way that other people react to you, which we mentioned earlier, which changes the way that you start to behave entirely, not just non-verbally. It's a positive reinforcement cycle. It starts with that non-verbal communication, which changes your first impression, which you change and create a habit with the doorway drill. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, sure. dude. Great advice, man. Great big thank you to Adam, Justin, and Sal over at Mind Pump. You should check that out, Mind Pump Podcast, wherever you find podcasts are sold, wherever you get your podcasts, look out for Mind Pump. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank them on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Remember, you can tap the album art and the show notes should pop up right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with us there. If you need to get a hold of us in a speedy fashion or you want to holler for any reason, me and producer Jason are both up on there. Boot camps are live program details. Those are at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. 
the boot camps are super rewarding. It's just amazing how far it takes people and what we can see with our own eyes during and, of course, after the program. And uh, remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch with us as soon as you can. Get some info from us so you can plan ahead. And we've got our AOC challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or like I said earlier in the show, you can text the word charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. The challenge is designed to improve your network working skills and your connection skills and inspire those around you to develop relationships with you for business or personal reasons. I'll also send you the fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show. And we've got regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text the word charmed in the U.S. to 33444. For full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of AOC was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor, and the show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is really a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at the Art of Charm podcast dot com.